Debbie, what are you going to do with all those tomatoes you have left over from your garden? Yeah, I, I picked a bunch of tomatoes that were green, and I had high hopes that I could ripen them on my windowsill, and they're ripe. They're a little bit wrinkly, so I am going to roast them. Yeah. Umami. <laughs> Speaking of umami, um, we have today, we're talking with Raquel Pelzel, who is the author of Umami Bomb which is a book that I picked up a few months ago and I was like, yes, this is great. She's an award-winning cookbook author of Umami Bomb and a few others. She's also co-authored, what, two dozen cookbooks with some celebrities and has several of her own cookbooks. And she's a former food editor at Tasting Table and an editor for Cooks Illustrated, which Love is that my favorite cooking magazine. <laughs> so, yeah, so welcome, Raquel. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to talk about it, Tommy. So we we loved your book because you, we share a lot of the same philosophies about food and um, being playful, and you're, it it shows through the book as well that you're playful with food and um, you have some of the same values about getting healthy food into people's kitchen and getting them in their kitchen to cook. So that's yeah. that's what attracted us to you. So We also like your non-preaching style because I think there's so much, uh, I'm going to call it baggage around food and so much, you know, doing the right or wrong thing around food. And so we're trying, when we're coaching people, we're really looking to try to get them to be more curious and exploring and playful in the kitchen because I think we're just, you know, bumping up against a lot of rigidity in the food food culture right now. So uh, yeah, I've never been good with um, I've never been good with labels. I was one of those people that would then go crazy and like lose fifteen pounds in a week or something, and then and then of course you know you go off whatever you're doing and then you get it all back and then stuff. So kind of my approach has always been, you know, I'm not restricting myself. I'm just trying to make good choices every day and, and sometimes you know my good choice is chocolate <laughs> that's what it is with a little splash of soy sauce <laughs> <laughs> which is one of your yeah which is one of the secrets in the book that's now not so secret but I, I love that idea that was one of my husband's uh, requests for me to make from your cookbook when he went through oh, it awesome. yeah he's like how about that chocolate cake there wind <laughs> You know, I, I have that idea because my my son, who's now 14, when he was first born, we got him this cake from a bakery in Brooklyn called Baked, um, and they have this famous sweet um, salty cake, and it has, um, you know, like right when kind of where to sell on any kind of chocolate or chocolate chip cookie or something started to get really popular. So they had the sweet and salty cake that he's always loved, and I kind of had that in my mind, and I was like, oh, soy sauce, that's essentially salty-ish, I mean, it's not like pure salt, so I was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder what would happen, and when I was developing that recipe, I actually put soy sauce in the cake first, and left the frosting, just like chocolate frosting, um, and it's really interesting, because the soy sauce, it tasted good, but the cake itself became dry, I was like, oh, well, that didn't work, and then I was like, well, what if I flip-flop it, and put a little bit of soy sauce in the frosting, but then just used a traditional cake layer, um, and that ended up being delicious, so it, it was kind of fun. And people are always like, oh, it's so, and it almost takes on this caramelly effect. It's really, mm. it's, it's really interesting and cool. And if you can buy, um, you can find 
booked soy sauce at some places, and that's just like next level. It's yeah. Crazy. Because then you're bringing in the extra umami elements of smoke, and or you could sprinkle smoke salt over the top and really kind of, oh. kind of get crazy. <laughs> so, so we're we're actually recording this with you before lunch, and my taste buds are like <laughs> squirting here. Yeah. All right. So that that's a that sounds delicious. Um, and that kind of brings me to the next question because we're so curious about how this all came about. Like, tell us all your beginnings. Tell us how you got started with everything and how you ended up here with Umami Cookbook. Yeah, well, you know, I have um, had two boys, and I'm always looking for interesting ways to make vegetables. And one of my sons, my younger one, who's 10, he's been a vegetarian for three years, mm. and he's even a vegan for a year. Um, and so not only am I always looking for ways to make, you know, healthy and delicious vegetarian food and make it taste really good, but I'm also always looking to um, make sure I get protein in there and, and, you know, all your aminos and stuff like that. So right. I'm kind of always thinking about all these things, but then, of course, you want it to taste interesting and delicious. And my 14-year-old son, he's not a vegetarian. He loves meat, and he eats it as much as, you know, even I don't really cook meat at home. But uh, so to keep them both interested, so I'm not cooking 10 meals a night, you know. I'm yeah. the same dinner. Right. So, um, so I found that, you know, I started, I found myself playing with umami ingredients without even really realizing it. And when I was thinking about, um, when I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, I'm actually, you know, I would have friends come over with their kids and eat dinner. And I'd be like, oh, my, my kids eating vegetables at your house, this is crazy. They never eat broccoli. Uh-huh. You know, they never eat this. And I was like, oh, well, you know, all you have to do is add a splash of soy or make this ways. And it's like, they're not hard things to but it's kind of using ingredients, like matching up an ingredient with a vegetable that you might not traditionally think of as, as working together, but they do. They totally, they're synergistic. So I started um, kind of thinking about it, and then and then when I really sat down to think about it, I was like, oh, this is it's totally a book, because I think lots of people are looking for ways to um, eat more vegetables and, and be more plant-forward and vegetable-forward, um, but not to feel... Um, hungry afterwards and to feel um, satisfied and, and satiated and, you know, all of those good things. Yeah. Well, I think still so many people have this attachment to if you take away a lot of the processed food out there, you're taking away the taste. And there's just this food scientists have really gotten clever with throwing off our original pleasure on the tongue. And they're really kind of messing with it. But this you know, the umami flavors really can step into that role on a much more natural, natural way. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, you know, processed food has so much um, salt and sugar in it. If you start reading labels, and I'm sure most of the people listening to this pod probably do that already. Um, and some umami ingredients lean on the salty side, though they don't necessarily have that much sodium in them, like miso or like soy. I mean, in large quantities they do, but we're just adding a spoonful or a splash. Um, and then some ingredients like nutritional yeast have this amazing ability to taste salty without really being salty. It's mm. um, kind of wild. And, and, you know, spices are also, I use a lot of spices in my cooking, and spices are a quite great way, too, to cut down on how much salt you're eating. But I actually have low blood pressure, so my doctor's always like, eat more salt. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So so tell us, where, so where did this passion all come from? Where did you 
start cooking or how did you learn how to do all of this? Yeah, did you have an in someone who really influenced you playing around? Oh, so many people. So uh, when I was little, my dad and I, you know, we used to go out for dinner. And my parents divorced when I was really young, and I grew up in Chicago, and I would spend Friday nights at my dad's. And um, he was a handyman carpenter, and he would get off of work and drive his big van, you know, to pick me up at my mom's, and we would go out for dinner. And every Friday, we would go somewhere else in Chicago, and this was, you know, in the in the early to late 80s and early 90s. And um, we would explore. It was like going on a, on a trip every week, like, we might go to a Pakistani place or we oh. might go eat Cuban food or we would go to the Greek place or, mm. you know, we would just love picking a different spot to try out all the time. So um, I really got introduced to different flavors and different cuisines and kind of um, celebrating what makes different cultures, what makes their food special and unique. And, you know, my dad and I would sit there and I was kind of a quiet kid. He would just tell me stories and stories and stories. And my dad grew up on a kibbutz in Israel. And um, he would tell me all these crazy antics. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really started to love storytelling through food and using food as kind of a conduit to um, connect with people. And uh, so that's, I think, where everything began. But then my great-grandmother was an amazing cook. My mom's a terrible cook. She almost <laughs> burned down. Well, she did burn down her kitchen. She started a fire. <laughs> style back then as it is now. It wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. It was kind of like the early days. And you know, one person in my class was vegan and one person was allergic to garlic. So it ended up being like a vegan, no garlic, three month cooking class. That's <laughs> <laughs> really interesting, but it kind of opened me up to not like as you said in the beginning, not restrictions but possibilities. Like don't think about what you can't put in your food. Think about what you can. Right. And once you, like, it was overwhelming sometimes to sit down and think about how many ways there was to cook it. You know, it's something like, mm -hmm. oh, what? but, you know, we really think about all the different cooking methods 
and all the processes and all the spices and all the cooking liquids, you can come up with a hundred different options of how to make something. Um, so, you know, fast forward a few years, I was living on the East Coast after college, I went back to school and finished my degree and um, was living in the Boston area and just was daydreaming about being a chef. And I really wanted to be a baker. Like, I thought this was the most romantic thing ever, <laughs> you know, bake bread and yeah. bake Like, I just daydreamed about it. Um, I was working for this healthcare company, um, writing newsletters. And, you know, every, every day at lunch, I would go on and look at different culinary schools. And finally, I just decided, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to jump in. And I went to the Johnson & Wales in Providence, Rhode Island. I would drive down from Boston every day and drive back. And uh, I cooked in a, I was a baker from 6 in the morning till noon. And I would have in my little Ford Festiva car and drive down to Providence and go to school in the afternoon and get home at 8 o'clock at night collapse yeah. <laughs> um, but it was really it was really cool it was really fun and I love the foundations of baking and pastry and I did pastry because I was a vegetarian at the time and I didn't ah. want to have to, you know cook with meat and stuff and um, I worked in restaurants and bakeries for a little bit but I really missed writing so that's when I went to work at Cook Illustrated I was able to kind of marry my love of writing with my love of cooking and, and I really cooked with like my master's degree and in creating recipes and learning how to break a recipe down and how to test it and what makes the recipe work and right. how to have an idea about what you want in a recipe and then work your way to it. Um, it was really, it was just really amazing people. That was in 2000 to 2000, was that in 2000? Yeah, 2000 to 2002 I worked there. Um, it was a while ago, but it was really formative. And um, yeah, and then I moved to Brooklyn in 2002 and started freelancing and writing cookbooks with other people. I'm a yeah. little, I'm a little envious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. In another life, I'd like to do a lot of those things. All those experiences sound fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. It so was pretty amazing. It was really, I feel, I feel lucky to have just kind of followed my passion and, um, you know, I've never made a lot of money, but I've always been pretty happy. So yes, <laughs> yes, we, we can relate to that. Yeah. Um, so one of the questions I have for you, um, is that, we consult people about eating and, and lifestyle choices, obviously, but we, we come across a lot of people saying that they don't have time to cook, you know, Oh yeah, I'd love to be healthy, but I don't have time to cook. So what, what would you say to those clients as far as, you know, what's your recommendation to those people who say that, Oh, I don't have time to cook. Oh, well, first of all, I can totally understand because, you know, I was a freelancer for a really long time and, you know, when you work from home freelancing and a lot of people who write cookbooks and, and, create recipes or working from home. But yeah, you could start a, you could start a stock at noon. You can start, you know, kind of making dinner at three because you're working and you go to stir the pot and then you go sit down and whatever, right? Um, it's easy to say, oh yeah, sure, I make roast chicken for dinner with this, that, and the other um, when you're at home doing it. But now I actually am the editorial director of cookbooks at um, Clarkson Potter in, in New York City. And, um, I'm at work from nine to five. Right. Really, you know, a test job in the city, and you know, I get home at like six, six thirty, and um, my kids are here waiting, and I walk <laughs> in the door, and it's like the clock is ticking. Yeah. It's like I'm on a game show. <laughs> you know, it's like I take off my jacket, and it's like I just go straight to my kitchen island, and I open the fridge, and I just start cooking. It's like I don't even sit down, I don't even take a breath, because I know that I have an hour and a half window. I don't want my kids. 
at 7.30, like I have a, I, and I, I try to get stuff done as fast as possible, and I have this window to make dinner, sit down, and like ask them about the day before they go to bed. Right, right. So, um, I think, you know, I think it's really important to think ahead. I'm not good at batch cooking. I don't want to spend my whole weekend cooking for the week. Like some people do that and are like masters of it, but yeah. that's just not how my brain works. And, and I'm so spur of the moment sometimes anyways, like sometimes what I make on Sunday, you know, I don't want to eat it the next day. Um, so what I do is on the weekend, I generally think about what I want. I think about what my week's looking like, and then I just start writing down things that fit into those days. Like, um, you know, yesterday I had an event that I had to go to for work. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to be at the event, and I know I'm not going to be home to make dinner. So what can I, you know, make for my kids that will be fast and easy that I can do the day before, you know, so that they'll have something on the stove. And I made a vegan chili for them. Mm-hmm. That, like, literally takes a half an hour to make. Um, you know, I just, I try to really, you know, create a shopping list and shop that list. And, um, you know, over the weekend when, when I had space to think about it and I just plot the days out, like I, I usually do it on a post-it, right. like Monday, you know, I'm making this and Tuesday I'm making that so that when I walk in the door, I don't have to think. Like, I think sometimes you get so hung up and like, oh, but I don't know, and, but I have a half a head of cauliflower and, you know, a box of pasta what should I do? You know, I think that um, the key for me at least is to walk in the door and know exactly what my mission is and to like plot through the steps in my head like, okay, I need to get the powder, pot of water on right away. I'm going to throw my sheet can in the oven and preheat the oven while the water is coming to a boil. Okay, now I'm going to, you know, cut up my vegetables and throw on the sheet pan and, you know, I'm going to put the pasta in the water. And while all that's happening, I'm going to chop up some ingredients so when the vegetables come out, I can just throw everything into the saucepan and, you know, it's just kind of like um, thinking ahead and trying to, I guess it's almost like writing a recipe in my head without writing it down. Mm. Just thinking of every step um, so that, you know, I can just kind of work through things as quickly and efficiently when I walk in the door. So, yeah, I think plotting a week out ahead um, makes a lot of sense. And then allowing, you know, I mean, we do take out once a week for sure, at least once a week, because there are some nights where even if I have something plans to make for dinner I've had such a long hard day and it's like I just can't deal and you know if, I, if that happens let's say we order Chinese or we get you know I don't know get sushi a lot um I like to order you know extra rice or something so that for the next night I already have something mm-hmm. ready to go like right. I don't have to take up rice that I can turn into fried rice or you know that kind of thing one of the other things that I'm hearing you saying, too, is that it takes practice. And I think so many people who kind of have this foreign relationship with the kitchen uh, feel a little bit intimidated. So taking one one idea at a time, I think, too, is yeah. just because you've had this practice. And at the end of the day, I, too, have, even though I love to cook, I have decision fatigue. I have no idea what, my, what, what I have in the refrigerator or anything. So I love your idea of just that premeditated plan. Yeah. 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 You can have one thing a week. Like on Wednesday, it's pasta day in my house. Right. Right. So every Wednesday, it's probably, I know I'm making pasta on Wednesday. My kids know we're having pasta on Wednesday. So it might be pasta with broccoli. It might be pasta with the cauliflower. It might be, you know, it might be soba noodles with, you know, uh, tofu and, and, you know, uh, as the book, there's the soy and reduced wine sauce. It's really delicious. Yeah. Um, so, so it's nice to have to create a template for yourself too. If if it all seems like just too overwhelming, 
to say, okay, every Wednesday is going to be pasta night. Thursday is going to be grateful night. I don't know, I'm going to make soups on Tuesday. And then on Fridays, I'm going to use leftover soup. I don't know, sometimes I use leftover soup to make a sauce for pasta. Or leftover soup can be so great. It turns into a sauce. If you eat yep. meat, you, you, know, like, you can create, make chicken breasts or something like that and, and use pureed soup as like a sauce for the chicken breast or poach stuff in there or with fish. And you're saying exactly what we always tell our clients, and you can't get around it, is you just have to plan ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Bottom yeah, line. Plan Bottom ahead. Line. Yep. And practice. And if you burn if you burn the rice, it's okay. <laughs> do it again. Totally okay. I do it all burn Yeah. The first uh, recipe I made, this is Wendy, is brought the green bean and charred radicchio salad because it was kind of like the end, end of the summer and into the fall and put lots of parm in there. That was really delicious. My husband, who doesn't necessarily like green beans that much, he, he really loved it. And um, another one I've got my eye on, too, is the eggs in uh, Putanesca Purgatory. <laughs> that one, my dad with the olives and the capers, that, that'll that be another. Uh, yeah, all that briny stuff. Yes. So good. And, you know, I add a little bit of soy sauce to the um, marinade. Yeah. A little bit of extra depth and umami. Um, so it almost has super savory flavor that's very satisfying. Um, it's really delicious. And the green bean salad is great with other vegetables too. Like sometimes I cut Brussels sprouts, like raw Brussels mm. sprouts really thinly to make ribbons. And I could use those, are, that's great with the radicchio. Um, or you can just toss in arugula or you can toss in roasted cauliflower. Like the flavors all work so well together. Love it. Yeah. Love it. I'm excited about your recipe. I think you call it fideos. Is that? Which, oh, yeah. It's so fun. Yeah. Because rice That's When I read your little write-up about that, I'm like, who doesn't love rice You grow up eating rice and, and there's And there's so many things that you grow up with that we that I just won't eat now. But I would love to imitate that with something healthy. And I was like so excited about that recipe. So that's something I'm definitely trying. And you love caramelized yeah. onions too. Caramelized so. onions is my, yeah. one of my favorite things. I love that you did a whole chapter on that because that's that's one of my favorite foods. Yeah, it's fun. You know, so the fideos is from the tomato chapter, I think. Right? Yes, and yes. And then um, the fideos, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like a pasta. That, I mean, it's usually a special kind of pasta that, you know, from um, Spain and, and Latin America and Mexico, they make it a lot too, but um, I just use spaghetti. And um, you toast it in a pan, mm. toast gets brown, and then you add your cooking liquid. So you almost, in a way, cook it like risotto, where the, right. the right. starch absorbs the whatever kind of broth you're using. And it's kind of like a dry pasta dish, and it's uh, so satisfying. It has all these nutty, wonderful pieces. Flavor. So it's like you're almost layering flavor once you start with the pasta and toast in the pan and then you kind of layer everything into it. Um, but yeah, the, the book is all divided by chapters. Um, each chapter is devoted to a different amount of ingredients. So the videos are in the tomato chapter. And then um, there's a whole yeah, the other chapter on caramelized onions was really fun. Yeah. Um, caramelized onions has so much umami in it. Definitely. So much savory and sweet. And sweet, yep. And you, and you kind of rate your... Each recipe with umami bombs, or how many different umami flavors you have in there, um, and I guess the Padeos has three of them. So <laughs> that just proves how delicious it's going to be. <laughs> it's a three bomb umami. That's right. <laughs> 
I also love the idea of this ketchup idea, the bomb sauce that you call it, which is sort of your, your substitute for ketchup. And I'm excited to try that too, because, you know, I, I don't usually use ketchup, but I kind of miss it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, I love ketchup so much. Everything, if I could, everything that goes into it. Exactly. You know, exactly. Loaded with weird stuff. Yep. 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 My husband you know, covers his eggs in ketchup so you can't see the eggs anymore. So <laughs> I think I'm going to have to try them. I just got some dried shiitakes as well. And you mentioned in, as you mentioned in the, in the cookbook, that it kind of, once you dry the mushrooms, it doubles the umami um, potency, I guess. Is that what that is? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Umami, it comes from uh, when the, so it comes from when, amino, it's essentially amino acids. So when you take something, say cheese, and you age it, you create umami because the protein structure is changing as the water evaporates from the product. Um, and that's why, like, you know, aged parm has a lot of umami, whereas maybe a very young cheddar doesn't. And mm -hmm. you can kind of taste it in your mouth. Like, to me, umami on my tongue, it's like tingly. It's like what, what gets you, what gets into the sides of your tongue and makes you, like, smile. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. um, but it's just a sense of, of savoriness and generally when an ingredient is manipulated in some way whether it's through caramelizing aging, smoking um, uh, sun-dried you know, like sun-dried tomatoes uh, fermenting like with miso and soy sauce um, that's all, you know, all umami um, and there's different forms of umami, like mushrooms have a slightly different form of umami than, say, um, caramelized onions do. And then there's also umami that you get from animal products. So, you know, that's why chicken stock or bone broth tastes so rich and satisfying to a lot of people is because it has so much natural umami. And so through, um, through umami, it's really great to, if you're trying to eat less meat and trying to be a little bit more plant-forward um, by using non-animal-based umami ingredients to, you know, bring that sense of savory to food. It's just, um, kind of makes everything just extra delicious. Yeah. And that you, on that note, you talk about why bacon take, makes everything taste better. And then you, you give us some, um, alternates to that. Like what, how can we get a similar flavor to bacon? And you give us a chart of the smoky plus sweet. Um, I love that well idea. Well worth buying the book. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Even page. if it's just for that page. Yes. Because so many people are, who have stopped eating some meat products, and the one thing they, they say, oh, I still eat bacon. I wish I didn't, but I still do, because you can't really get away from bacon flavor. But here you know, it's like salty, sweet, and smoky. It's right. Like, what, yeah. like how, it's, it's just everything good. Right, yeah. right. So that chart is very valuable. Yes. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, it was um, it was fun to come together. When you kind of think about things a little abstractly, and you think about what what's actually the flavor composition that's happening, why like when you look at something from a flavor perspective and, and how it's creating those intense deep notes, and you step back from it and think, how can I how can I create that without leaning on you know bacon or pancetta or something like that. Um, you can get creative, and that's what you, I think. If you buy those ingredients like smoked paprika and smoked salt, and um, you know, I use uh, not saying Sichuan tea in the book, which is the smoked tea, which is amazing, mm -hmm. um, and it's wonderful used as like a marinade, or you can you actually pulverize it and use it as a dry rub. Um, 
for you know for vegetables or or for meat. Um, you know, Thanksgiving is kind of coming up, or if you're doing any kind of roast turkey for a holiday. Um, when I was a tasting table, there was an amazing recipe we worked on in the kitchen where you take left things, you chunk it, pulverize it in a, in a coffee grinder, and then you mix in some like pastrami spices, and you use it to rub a turkey breast, mm. and then you roast it in the oven, and it comes out tasting like turkey pastrami that is smoked because of smoked tea. Mm. Um, and then in the book, I kind of played with that concept a little bit and used the left thing to chunk to, uh, as a brine to soak tofu and to make a smoky tofu. Um, and you could do it with eggs. You could do it with all kinds. Like if you took a hard-boiled egg and like, um, you know, those, how you can make those beet-dyed eggs, right? You take yeah, an right. egg and you can soak it in like a beet, like a liquid, maybe with lots of beet juice or turmeric. Right. Make it a yellow or something. If you soaked an egg, like a hard-boiled egg in um, left-sang souchon tea, it would take on this wonderful smoky flavor. Ah. I'll have to check that out. That's new to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. I love that. We'd love to let our listeners know how to get in touch with you, how to find out your other books. Where should they go? Sure. Um, I have a website. It's just my name, RaquelPelzel.com. It has my other books on it. I wrote a book all about toast, and fancy stuff on toast. Mm. And, um, there's a book called uh, Sheep Pan Meatless, and it's all different um, kinds of meatless, vegetarian, dinners, breakfast, everything that you can make on a sheet pan, that's really, it's really fun, and um, I find that sheet pan cooking is a great thing to do when you get home from work, because, yeah. you know, it's pretty fast, and um, I even cook grains on a sheet pan in the oven, and it steams them, and you never have to worry about anything burning, and pretty cool technique. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you can reach out to me through the site, and, um, and everything, I'm on Instagram, at Raquel Pelbel, and um, I'm all over it, I <laughs> What, I mean, the only thing, I mean, I would just, I would love to see people finding more ways to cook vegetables just because from a sustainability, not only for your nutrition, for your health, but also from a sustainability perspective, um, and when thinking about the environment, it's so important to, you know, I would, I, I would love in a future perfect world, <laughs> instead of meatless Mondays, to have meat on Mondays, and then all the other days we week not eat meat, and it's like, so much environmental wear and tear comes from comes from raising animals and livestock. And if we cut down on the amount of burgers and bacon and um, and cheese, especially that we eat, um, our environment would be in much better shape. So I do have a whole chapter on cheese in this book, but. I've since really tried to curb how much cheese I'm eating. I mean, I eat a pretty, I eat mostly plant-based, and then I eat a little bit of cheese and a little bit of eggs. But when you're looking at the evidence and, and facts and research, dairy, you know, cheese and milk, animal like cow milk and um, butter and all of that, it has a higher, it leaves a higher uh, carbon footprint than eating chicken.
I'll only eat meat on the weekends, or maybe I'll only eat meat on, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturdays, or something like that. And, and if you make your vegetables and your, you know, your non-meat dinners, lunches, and breakfasts interesting, um, no one will miss it. You know, no one, everyone will feel happy and, and um, well-fed and, and satiated and um, will feel healthier and you're doing better for the world too. And you're spending less money. Right. Well, thank you so much for sharing those uh, last tidbits. We we agree, and uh, we encourage people to get into the kitchen, go grab the uh, umami bomb cookbook, right, and a few of our other cookbooks too. Yeah, and go play and uh, grab some vegetables at the market. <laughs> seasonal seasonal vegetables. You got wonderful vegetables this season, right? Right now, it's perfect. So. Oh my gosh, it's bad. Cornucopia is delicious mess. Everyone's out there. I know, this season especially. Lots of umami out there right now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, thanks again, Raquel. It was wonderful talking with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Keep the conversation going at nourishcoaches.com. And stay tuned for more Nourish Noshes as we continue our quest to make the world a healthier place.